Welcome to The Rebound, where we'll explore the issues facing supply chain managers as our industry gets back up and running in a post-COVID world. This podcast is hosted by Abe Eskenazi, CEO of the Association for Supply Chain Management, and Bob Troublecock, Editorial Director of Supply Chain Management Review. Remember that Abe and Bob welcome your comments. Now to today's episode. Welcome to today's episode of The Rebound, what it takes to be a supply chain leader. I'm Bob Troublecock. And I'm Abe Eskenazi. And joining us today is Mike Griswold. Mike is a research VP in Gartner's consumer value chain team focusing on the retail supply chain. Mike, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me, guys. Looking forward to today's discussion. We are too. I'd like to start. Abe, think fast. Name three or four identifying traits of the leading supply chains and supply chain leaders. Uh, I think most of us would recognize these traits of, you know, financial stability, um, a focus on environmental as well as ethical standards and social responsibility. Uh, When we take a look at collaboration, we take a look at visibility, transparency. I think there's a lot of different traits that we can identify for organizations and their supply chain leaders. And I think it's interesting to note how Gartner has uh, codified and really provided a great framework to recognize those organizations and the individuals. Well, that was about 27, but (laughs) that's a great segue. (laughs) So uh, every year for the past 16 years, uh, Gartner and now uh, Mike leading that team has put together its list of the top 25 supply chains. And now a second list of five supply chain masters. Those are based on a number of weighted factors along with input from their peers. It's a fascinating list, both from the contest aspect, like sports season, you wanna know who's up and who's down, but it's also a glimpse, not just into leading supply chains, but supply chain leaders. After all, supply chains don't just happen. So that's what we'll talk about with Mike today. Let's get started. Mike, I think this is the second year that you've led the research project. When you compiled the list, what stood out the most? Uh, Yes, this was the second year. Uh, A couple of things uh, stood out at me. First is if I talk about the list itself, the 25 companies and the five masters that you highlighted, uh, several things jump out. We have a a mix of industries. So we have Cisco at number one, uh, certainly from the high tech area. But we have uh, we've had the most life sciences companies in our list uh, this past year. Johnson and Johnson at number three. You know, a good collection of consumer products companies. I think between the the top twenty five and the five masters, uh, the consumer products companies has the most representation, strong representation from retail. But also with some of the new entrants, you know, BMW or newer entrants uh, from an automotive perspective, just a, a well rounded you know portfolio of of organizations, which to me demonstrates that there really isn't you know only one way to deliver an effective supply chain. Different industries um, have found different ways to do that. And then when I look at some of the data that we got back from organizations as part of the process, there were four things that I noticed that are in their DNA. The first is about 70% of the companies have established centers of excellence, not only in areas like planning and IT, but also centers of excellence that drive those best practices into the organization. Secondly, about 90% of them have implemented or upgraded supply chain planning and uh, planning capabilities as well as visibility. And if we think about 
the disruption that we've all experienced during COVID-19, the ability to, to enhance planning and the ability to improve visibility um, have been become key capabilities and certainly uh, are prevalent in those top 25 and masters. The third thing is, which will not be a surprise to people I'm sure that follow um, your uh, podcast would be the implementation of advanced analytics and big data. Lots of activity in machine learning and AI, uh, not only from a planning perspective, but also customer service areas, product testing. So uh, investing in those areas is another thing that jumped out at me. And then lastly, and the one that was probably the most surprising was the area around change management. About 85% uh, of people in the research have created or established a change management discipline within the supply chain. Now, that doesn't mean that they are divorced from their HR partners, but what it does mean is we're bringing a change management skill internal to the supply chain because we recognize the amount of change the supply chain has gone through, but we also recognize the amount of change that's on the horizon for supply chains in the future. Mike, those are really interesting um, trends. You also identified uh, three that really stood out to me. Uh, First was the purpose-driven organization. The second was business model transformers, and lastly, digital orchestrators. When you take a look at those, give us a sense of why they're notable, and is this a change from the past, or is this more an amplification of a trend that has been within the industry? I think it's it's an amplification of trends that we've seen you know, growing over the last couple of years. So for example, one of our trends last year was this idea of leveraging your ecosystem. And I think what has evolved from that trend in particular is this idea of a purpose-driven organization. Let me share briefly some some high-level statistics around those three uh, trends that we see, and then I'll just dig a little bit deeper into into each one. You know, the purpose-driven organization, 70% uh, in the supply chain plan to invest in the circular economy. And part of a purpose-driven organization is recognizing how do I partner within my ecosystem to solve problems that are larger than I can solve myself. Circular economy is certainly one of those focus areas where organizations are taking into account how do I design the end of life of a product in the very beginning of the design cycle. You know, we see companies like Dell as an example, Lenovo, you know, other high-tech companies really uh, jumping in with both feet uh, into that circular economy capability. Um, but it's also around the organization itself. Uh, we're seeing a lot of organizations feel pressure on two fronts around having you know, an environmental or social purpose um, for their organization. Associates are, are rallying around causes and making, the, making their view known to their employer around how important it is. But we're also seeing the consumer and the end customer voting with their wallet, with his or her wallet, uh, and going with organizations that have publicly um, put forth goals and targets, maybe around ESG, you know, maybe it's around other social activities that are important to customers. So that purpose led um, really to your question uh, is really an amplification of some of the things that we saw last year. The second trend around um, business model transformers, that I think is, is, a, is a newer one for us in its current format. About 86% of CEOs expect their business model to change. And I think COVID was a great example of how 
um, a disruption or a turn, as we refer to them at times at Gartner, how they can force organizations to think about their business model. Uh, we saw uh, an incredible growth in direct-to-consumer from pretty much everybody, whether that was a retailer who had stores closed and needed to ship directly to the consumer, or even consumer products companies who are looking to get the closer connection, um, enhance that customer experience, and, and really be able to connect on a personal uh, personal level. Personalization uh, is becoming huge in the research note and in some of the other webinars we've done. We've talked about the work that L'Oreal has done around personalized makeup, not only from the standpoint of creating a makeup that's unique to an individual customer, but the whole supply chain apparatus behind that that allows them to deliver that personalized makeup for that personalized customer, deliver that and, and make it in a way that is scalable and affordable. Uh, then the third trend is the digital, this idea of how do I become a digital orchestrator? That definitely is uh, an amplification of things that we've been talking about uh, and the role that technology is playing in enhancing the supply chain. 79% uh, of supply chains agree that they are investing to be digital by 2025. I think the key here for organizations and what we've seen for sure in the top 25 companies is a clear answering the question, what does digital mean to me? There really isn't a wrong answer to that as long as you have the ability to say, you know, I'm company XYZ and this is what digital means to me. From a supply chain perspective, a business strategy perspective, it's imperative that those are all aligned. But it's really, I think, more important that we're actually able to define that because that then starts to shape what are the capabilities? What's the supply chain operating model need to look like to support digital? Do I need to now invest more, let's say, in data scientists? Do I need engineers that understand robotics and automation? But the other element to digital orchestration that does pick up on what we've talked about for a couple of years now is this idea of becoming bimodal or having a bimodal skill set where I have mode one skills which are very targeted and focused on you know the blocking and tackling of the supply chain plan source make deliver customer service the things that we're all familiar with from the score model mode two though however brings kind of a contrasting skill which is around entrepreneurship bringing a startup mentality how do I figure out how to how to trial things quickly but probably most importantly, how do I take those bright ideas that come out of mode two? How do I operationalize them? Those are the idea of being bimodal, understanding, you know, the skill sets that I have and maybe more importantly, the skill sets I don't have. Those are keys uh, to that digital orchestration journey. So those are the three trends and a little bit more detail around, you know, what we see within them uh, as they're uh, portrayed by our top 25 and our masters. Mike, thanks for that. You know, when you were talking about the business model transformer, um, I was reminded uh, Abe and I had uh, Craig Jones, who is the supply chain leader for Under Armour on uh, two weeks ago. And um, Craig talked about two things. One, about as a result of COVID, how the mix of his business from, you know, uh, wholesale or to the store really changed and how they, they feel like they really have to become a direct-to-consumer company where that mix is going to change. And the second business model transformation he was talking about is how he works with his suppliers and looking uh, at more of an as a service model than 
you know, I'm going to, I'm going to license Manhattan or I'm going to buy this or that because of the challenge they have in investing in technology right now. So that your, your description of business model transformation really uh, aligned with some of the things that Craig was talking about. Uh, let's let's talk about the masters. So sure. you launched you launched the five masters. I can't remember if it was last year or the year before that. Um, as you know, five companies that really set themselves apart, even from the top twenty five. And what I wondered is, is it consistency, or when you look even within that you know uh, that specialized group, is there something else about them that even the top twenty five can learn? Uh, there, there certainly is. I mean, we've had the masters for, uh, I think, 10 years now, actually. So part of getting to be a, mas a master speaks to your question around consistency, because to be a master, you need to have a top five composite score seven of the last 10 years. Uh, and that's how these five companies, uh, Apple, Amazon, McDonald's, P&G, and Unilever, that's how they've landed and remained in the masters, because you know, oftentimes people think that the Masters is, you know, a, you know, lifetime achievement award from the Academy Awards or it's hanging someone's jersey from the rafters in a sports facility. It's not. Every year these companies are evaluated. And if their their composite score falls outside of the top five, then that's one year out of or one year that counts against them in terms of the Masters. So, you know, the Masters was really uh, established to recognize, as you pointed out, this high level of consistent supply chain performance. When I look at the organizations, though, to kind of get to the heart of your question, there are there are several traits that I see in those organizations. You know, the first is a sustained commitment and investment over time rather than just focusing on, you know, specific projects and specific tactics. And what I mean by that is the masters don't tend to succumb to things like initiative of the month, you know, project of the month, those types of things. They have, you know, as I mentioned in those previous traits, they have, you know, aligned business supply chain digital strategy and and they set a course and they stay with it. Now, doesn't mean they're inflexible and rigid. They have their eyes set on, on a target and they're laser focused in delivering that. They also have, if I think about the second trait, they also have a broader definition of the supply chain. I would suggest over time, I would say many organizations, if not most in the top 25 and these five masters have broadened their supply chain to be just more than distribution center and transportation. It now includes those elements of the score model. Plan source, make, deliver, um, customer service is now becoming more and more um, prominent in supply chains. And this broader definition of the supply chain, I think enables organizations to look and make more end-to-end -end decisions that are the best for the entire organization. We all know and have talked to companies that have a, a more narrow definition of the supply chain. It's very easy to make a decision that's fantastic for distribution or logistics, but may introduce cost in some other part of the business or may hinder uh, from a service perspective, some other part of the business. So this broader definition of the supply chain, I think, facilitates some of these these more end-to-end -end decisions that enable high um, high performance. The third trait, and this is one that that no one probably in the audience will will consider sexy, but it's definitely a trait of these organizations. 
and that's around maturity with the connective processes. And what I mean by that is if I were to look at, you know, our five stage maturity models in things like sales and operations planning, supply chain metrics, supply chain segmentation and cost optimization, these masters companies are, are at least stage three, if not higher in our five-stage maturity model. So they are well-versed in internal collaboration. They're well-versed with things like SNOP. They're well-versed around their cost structure with things like cost optimization, and they recognize that they have more than one supply chain. You know, when we talk to organizations around supply chain segmentation, we ask them, how many supply chains do you have? The only wrong answer really is one. Um, most uh, any organization, if they look hard enough, will understand that they have you know more than one supply chain. And these masters have figured that out and, and have architected their supply chains to really do that effectively. And then lastly, um, speaks to our second trait that we just talked about, this business model innovation. I mean, think about Amazon and the transformation over their lifetime that Amazon has gone through from kind of a cute little online bookseller to now a major factor across almost all aspects of commerce. So the ability to, to innovate, the ability to get into new markets, new products, um, those are some of the things that, that differentiate um, the masters from, from the rest of the top 25. Although I would argue, you know, all the top 25 companies have elements of this. I think the masters are the ones that have pulled all these together for a sustained period of time. Mike, really great description of those leaders and, you know, their quality and their characteristics. If you're taking a look at, you know, maybe not the top 25, you know, the companies that are being considered that didn't make the cut, what do the leaders tell us about where supply chains are going and where do the other organizations need to focus? I mean, you identified the four characteristics. It's really hard to focus on all of them at the same time. So where do you suggest that companies start as they're evaluating how do I become one of these, you know, top recognized, top tier organizations? Give us a sense of where companies should, you know, focus on talent, technology, digital transformation. Where do you recommend that they take a look at first? Well, one of the things that I didn't touch on, and I'm sure my Gartner talent analysts would, would hold me to that, I didn't touch enough on the talent component when we talked about digital orchestration. When I look at you know, what do I think is one of the enablers of success or the, the converse of that, what's one of the, the things that will hold people back, it's going to be talent. You know, I think we've done a lot of research. You know, we have a top 25 college supply chain colleges and universities that we publish every other year. Talent to me is going to be the make or break for organizations, not only if, if their aspiration is to you know, get into the top 25, but I think in general around growing the proficiency of your supply chain, uh, talent is, is one of those fundamental things that we need to look at. We need to um, identify you know, where we have talent gaps. We need to identify how we're going to fill them. And we really, I think, really need to focus on how are we going to keep the talent that we have? I mean, I think everyone knows it's much harder to, to find a new talent than it is to retain the talent that you have. So we're seeing a lot of organizations inside the top 25 and out really bolstering their talent strategy, competency models, recognizing the different um, 
generational type of of aspirations that people have and what are they looking for in a job and a career. So talent is certainly one. The other one I want to touch on, because you mentioned it, and, and I think in some ways it's counterintuitive given the pandemic and what people are going through, but it's about investing and it's about investing in technology and it's finding the, the pragmatic deployment of technology that will solve what is your most pressing problem. For a lot of people, it's demand. It's figuring out what's demand going to look like. How do I you know, demand sense and demand shape uh, and having a technology platform and a technology partner uh, becomes really important um, in that journey. So if I was to narrow it down to two, I would say it's, it's a, a relentless focus on talent and it's going to be a pragmatic approach to technology investment because we cannot cost cut you know, our way out of this. We talk uh, in our keynote, uh, both of our keynotes are going to touch on this for our two symposium. You know, the goal of getting through this disruption and the goal of getting through any disruption is not survival. It needs to be, how do I thrive on the other side? And if we are solely focused on survival, we will probably struggle on the other side. And it's talent and this pragmatic investment in technology that I think is going to get us through that. And, you know, through that, help organizations, you know, move into the top 25 and beyond. Thanks, Mike. So this is the last question. And we've been talking about supply chains. Sure. Uh, But as I noted in the beginning, supply chains are led by supply chain leaders. Uh, Gartner talks to a lot of chief supply chain officers. Um, You see the best. What distinguishes those leaders who are, you know, leading your top 25 And then what are you recommending to the other supply chain officers to either take themselves or their organizations to the next level? Sure. There's three things that, you know, I guess I'll summarize uh, as the big takeaways from from our symposiums. Uh, I touched on the first one, you know, organizations, uh, chief supply chain officers and global chief supply chain officers, you know, they need to strengthen their capabilities to get through disruption, to get through the turns uh, and look to come out stronger on the other side. You know, our winning in the turns, navigating through the turns research, you know, started with our finance practice that looked at 1,200 companies during the Great Recession, 2008, 2009. Of those 1,200 companies, only 60 came through from a financial performance perspective stronger at the end of the recession than they went into it. So supply chain, um, chief supply chain officers and their teams need to figure out how does the supply chain become that enabler of thriving on the other side of a disruption. The second is in order to do that, we have to be more adaptive around how we think about strategy, investments, and leadership. You know, one example is, you know, one of our surveys cited that about 80% of organizations, you know, their entire planning process is built around a calendar, right? It's not built around events. Funding is built around a very rigid calendar. Think about the pandemic. Right. It knows it doesn't know a calendar. It just knows that it's going to start and at some point it's going to stop. So leading organizations need to figure out how do we become more flexible and adaptive, not only to embracing some of those three trends that we talked about, like a business model transformer, but also how do we think about how we're going to fund these initiatives and how can how can we be creative, but probably more flexible in how we do that. Uh, And then lastly, 
which to some of your earlier comments, you know, piggybacks on what we've been talking about for the last three years at our events is that, you know, there, there is no such thing as the next normal. The future is going to be defined by ongoing turbulences. You know, we are in a disruption. We're in a turn now. There will be another one, hopefully not this duration or this magnitude. But leading supply chains have to figure out how do I create flexibility, resiliency, and agility in my supply chain so that I can weather the next storm, whatever it might be? And what can I learn from how I've weathered this storm? What are those transferable skills that come out of weathering this storm that I can apply going forward? Uh, because as we look across the supply chain landscape, you know, we we expect organizations will be continually dealing with disruptions. You know, they may be local, they may be global, they may be long, they may be short. Uh, but supply chains, uh, I think, are forever going to be tasked with, you know, that resiliency and agility question. And how are we going? How are you going to get us through the next disruption? Mike, thanks so much. Uh, that's all the time we have today. Thanks for joining. Again, I want to thank Mike Griswold from uh, Gartner. I uh, hope you read his top 25, and we hope you'll be back for our next episode. We look forward to seeing you then. I'm Bob Troublecock. And I'm Abesh Kanazi. The Rebound is a joint production of the Association for Supply Chain Management and Supply Chain Management Review. For more information, be sure to visit ASCM.org and STMR.com. We hope you'll join us again.